21st Precinct, Sergeant Klein. Yes? Where? 3120? In the bar and grill. Now, who shot? What's his name? Where's the man with the gun? You are in the muster room at the 21st Precinct, the nerve Which center. Way? A call is coming through. You will follow the action taken pursuant to that call from this minute until the final report is written in the 124 room at the 21st Precinct. I'll send the officers. What? Talk into the phone. It's on its way. The ambulance is already on its way. Just wait there for the officers. Twenty-first precinct. It's just lines on a map of the city of New York. Most of the hundred and seventy-three thousand people wedged into the nine-tenths of a square mile between Fifth Avenue and the East River wouldn't know if you asked them that they lived or worked in the twenty-first. Whether they know it or not, the security of their persons, their homes, and their property is my job. My job and the job of the hundred and sixty patrolmen, eleven sergeants, and four lieutenants of whom I'm the boss. My name is Kennelly, Frank Kennelly. I'm captain in command of the 21st. I was working my 6 p.m. to 8 a.m. tour. It was a hot, muggy night. After I turned out the platoon for the late tour, I went on patrol of the precinct with patrolman Johnny Farrell as operator and myself as recorder. At 2.55, we were driving south on Lexington Avenue in the 70s. There were few cars on the street and fewer pedestrians. All right, cut across east on 72nd, Johnny. We'll take a turn up first. Yes, sir. 8838. What was the matter with your boy, Johnny? I don't know, Captain. And now would be the doctor. A rash like that could be caused yeah. by anything. Something he ate or one of his toys or weed or something. I to tell. Yeah, I know. And to keep him from scratching. How are you going to keep a kid five years old from scratching in his sleep unless you're trying to well, there's somebody running. Huh? Where? This side, down on the next block. Oh, yeah. Let's take a look. The man. Pull up ahead of me. Police officer. What's your hurry? Now? Hold up. I was running to the police station. Okay, Captain. Yeah? Well, tell me, mister. Hold up, guys. They stopped my boss. Where? Bar and grill. He's dead. I think he's dead. And where were you running? To the police station. What was the matter with the phone? I don't know. I was so excited, I guess. What's your name? Charlie. Charlie Burgess. I, I'm the bartender. Okay, get in the car. Open it off, Al. Yes, sir. He, he looked dead to me. All right, get in, Charlie. You go around, Johnny. Yes, sir. Where is this? The bar and grill, two blocks up. Oh, what's the street address? 3120. 3120, Johnny. Yes, sir. The two guys were there for an hour almost. Poor Captain. All right, 620. Go ahead, 620. We've picked up a man who reports a robbery and shooting at the barn grill, 3120 Lexington. 3120? That's right. We've got the witness. We're on our way. Okay. You, uh, you were running to the police station? Yeah, that's right. Police station's in the other direction. 2120, car 631, 632. The address, 3120 Lexington. All right. Come on, Charlie. Let's go. Come on. I didn't know where the police station was. How should I know? Inside, Charlie. She's over there behind the bar. How come the music? Hold up, guys. Put a couple of quarters in the jukebox. I don't know. There. Is he dead? Yeah, he's dead. Here's a gun, Captain. Over here. All right, let it lay, pal. Pull the plug on that jukebox. That's it. Cash register's clean now. Why'd they shoot him, Charlie? I don't know. Happened so fast, I don't know. Where were you standing? Uh, right here, right by the beer tap. You were the bartender? Yeah, that's right. Substitute. Regulars on vacation. Why didn't they shoot you? I ducked. I ducked down behind the bar. If you were the bartender, what did you do? Change into your street clothes after the shooting? No. Dutch said I could go home early. Business was slow. I could go home, so I changed. Well, if you changed, what were you doing behind the bar? It was my last night. I came back here so Dutch could give me my money. No uh, other customers around when it happened? No, just the two hypers. 
Hey, what is this, anyhow? That's what we want to know from you, Charlie. What it is. Two sector cars, the sergeant's car, detectives from the 21st squad, and an ambulance arrived on the scene almost immediately. As required in homicide cases, Lieutenant Matt King, commanding the 21st squad, was called from his home. Also notified were the Manhattan East Homicide Squad, the Medical Examiner's Office, the New York County District Attorney's Office, the Police Laboratory for Latent Fingerprint Experts, and the Police Photographer, and such superior officers of the department as were concerned. Premises were completely examined for latent fingerprints and other physical evidence. The apparent murder gun, carefully handled, was tagged for evidence by the laboratory men for ballistics and fingerprint examination. The body of the victim was taken to Bellevue Morgue for autopsy. At 10 minutes to 4 a.m., Lieutenant King brought Charles Burgess to the station house for a detailed account. There in the 21st squad, he was questioned by Lieutenant King in his office in the presence of Assistant District Attorney Lewis Curley, two detectives, and myself. Now, you said the two bandits were average height. Yes, sir. Tell me what you mean, Charlie, by average height. Average height? They weren't too big, they weren't too small. Would you say they were as tall as I am? A little taller, maybe. About as tall as Captain Kennelly? About, yeah. Yeah, I guess. Both of them? And they were about the same height? Well, one was a little taller than the other. It was only a little. Which one? The one that fired the shot? Yeah, the one that fired the shot, he was a little taller. You told Captain Kennelly on the scene that the other one was a little taller. Isn't that right, Captain? That's what he said. Well, one of them was a little taller. What are you trying to do to me, anyway? You're getting a little confused, Charlie. Well, this whole thing is enough to confuse anybody. Here, Charlie. Have a cigarette. Yeah, I, I could use one. It shouldn't be confusing if you're giving us the facts. That's all I'm well, giving I'll you is the facts. The facts. That's all right. I'm telling you what happened. What else do you want from me? Okay, fine. Nothing else, Charlie. Well, that was the ME's office with a preliminary report, Lieutenant. Yep. Two bullet wounds, one through the right shoulder, the other entered the left arm, went through the chest and pierced the heart. That was the baby. Stand up a minute, Charlie. Me? Yeah, you. Stand up. Whitey. Yeah, Lieutenant? Come over here a minute. Yeah, yeah sure, Lieutenant. Now, Charlie, supposing Detective Howard was the hold-up man with a gun. That's good, Whitey, right there. Supposing, Charlie, you were Dutch. Yeah, Dutch. About where was Dutch standing from the hold-up man when the shots were fired? Uh, was uh, about here, I'd say. Uh-huh. Where were you standing, Charlie? About right over there. But the bar ran along this way. Captain, would you be Charlie? Yeah, sure. Right uh, about here? Yeah, right about there. Mm-hmm. I could show you better if I was myself. I want you to be Dutch. Yeah, Dutch. All right, now the hold-up man fired the first shot. Bang. It hit Dutch in the right shoulder. Yeah. The second shot. Bang. Through the left arm and into the chest. Dutch fell down. Yeah, that's right. He fell down. Charlie, are you sure that's about where the hold-up man was standing? Yeah, that's where he was standing about. Are you positive, Charlie? Sure, I'm positive. Okay, I'll sit down. Listen, can't I go home? We've been after this an awful long time. I'll tell you something, Charlie. Dutch will be dead a long time, too. The questioning continued for some minutes more. Charlie Burgess stated he would be able to recognize either or both of the two killers if he saw them again. Finally, coffee and sandwiches were sent for. Charlie sat on a bench in the corner, munching at his food. Two uniformed officers arrived with a pair of narcotic addicts they caught in the act of breaking into and stealing goods from parked cars on Madison Avenue. It was a good collar. There'd been 10 to 20 squeals a night in the precinct concerning such thieves. As detectives started to talk to them, Charlie watched with fascination from the bench. It was a question, who was more in trouble? I went back downstairs to the muster room and checked with the desk officer and the man on the boxes. Other than the homicide, it had been a quiet tour. I went into my office to read and sign reports which had accumulated during the tour. It was getting light out, and with the dawn came the first breeze in 48 hours. It might be a cooler day. Shortly before 7 o'clock, Lieutenant King came downstairs and crossed the muster room to my office. Captain. Uh, come in, Matt. You got a minute? Yeah, sure. How are you doing? I don't know. I think Charlie's telling us a pack of lies. You think he killed a man? He sure could have, Captain. But we'll need a lot. We'll need to know if it was his gun, where he got it, and so forth. We'll need a straight story on what went on there. Yeah. 
Oh, could you use a cup of coffee, man? Yeah, Captain. There's some hot. Oh, I think so. Hey, uh, what about the three customers he keeps talking about? If Charlie didn't kill Dutch, somebody had to. Somebody right out of his head. Oh, uh, Sergeant. Excuse me, Captain. Uh, go ahead and take the phone. 21st Precinct, Sergeant Klein. 37. All right, uh, listen, you're ringing in three minutes late. I don't care what the clock in the jewelry store says. According to this clock, you're three minutes late. All right. Yes, sir, Captain. Is there any hot coffee? Yes, sir, it's on the fire. Oh, thanks. The sugar's in the drawer there. Good, thanks. What do you think happened, Matt? I think Charlie tried to dip the till and Dutch caught him at it. It was an argument. Charlie had a gun and bang. Well, the cash register was empty. Money had to go someplace. Charlie didn't have it on him. Wasn't any place in the store. I know, but he ran a block and a half before you nailed him. Could have been dropped in a trash can, a hallway, or even a mailbox. Sugar man? Yeah, please. Here, help yourself. Thanks. I've got two men out checking every trash can and doorway between the bar and grill and where you stopped him, Captain. Good. But he could have had a friend who carried it away. Yeah, that's a possibility. The problem right now is what we're going to do with Charlie. We haven't got enough to book him in on homicide. The assistant DA thinks we ought to take him down to court and have him held as a material witness. Mm, sounds like a good idea. Oh, how's the coffee, Matt? Hot enough? Yeah. We told Charlie what we're going to do. He called his brother, and I think they'll have a lawyer down there. The DA says if they put up a fight, he'll need your testimony at the hearing because you collared him on the street. Uh-huh. I told him you were due to go off at 8. Well, that's all right. I'll go down. Said he'd get it set down for as soon after 10 as possible. Oh, don't worry about it. Well, thanks, Captain. It'll help us a lot. Coffee sure takes fine. Yeah. That was a good collar your men made, Hearn and Ross. Or to clear most of those squeals we had breaking into cars. Better still, Matt. It ought to stop them. Yes, sir. You've got a big point. At 8 a.m., I turned out the platoon for the day tour. A few minutes later, with the two detectives and Charlie Burgess, I rode to police headquarters annex, 400 Broom Street. We parked the car and took the elevator to the fifth floor of Bureau of Criminal Identification. It was approximately 8.30 a.m. Charlie was taken back to the combination MO and general appearance file. Here, there are thousands of photographs of men with criminal records classified according to the type of crimes they had committed. Stick-up men, burglars, forgers, auto thieves, pickpockets, and so forth. Within each classification, the photographs are broken down according to general physical description. That is, according to height, weight, hair color, complexion, and build. Charlie was seated on a stool in front of the file. Fox and Howard stood on either side of him. I leaned on another file behind them and watched. Well, take your coat off, Charlie. You've got about 6,000 pictures to look at. That's hot. No, that's all right. Oh, suit yourself. Relax, Charlie. Count on making a career out of it. I'm relaxed. Now, this is what's known as a visible record file. The 12 slides to a cabinet, 71 pockets on each slide. In each pocket, there's two pictures, full face and profile of the same man. I'll pull out a slide start dropping the pockets in front of you. Say no, and I'll drop the next one. You all set? I'm set. I guess. Now, relax, Charlie. You'll be here a long time. All right, here goes. No, that's not him. Just say no, save your voice. No. That's the guy. That's him. That's one? That's him, I tell you. That's the one that shot Dutch. That's him. Are you sure? I'm telling you. Okay, study it a little longer, make sure. I don't have to study. That's him. Study it anyway. Whitey, come here. Now, just sit there, Charlie. Do you believe him? You? I ask you first. Captain? You said it like it mattered. It's like hitting the sweepstakes. 50,000 mugs to look at, and he makes the third picture. Well, either Charlie lives right, or he's the best liar I ever met. You are listening to 21st Precinct, a factual account of the way the police work in the world's largest city. Charlie Burgess was put to work looking through the mugs for the number two man. 
Meanwhile, Detective Fox had an identification man pull the complete jacket on the suspect he identified, Al Hance, also known as Alfred Harrod, a man with a record of two arrests and one conviction, armed robbery. This information was telephoned to Lieutenant King. So was the report that the murder gun bore no readable fingerprints. By 9.45 a.m., Charlie had failed to identify a picture of the number two man. He was taken to the car, and we drove farther downtown to the criminal courts building at 100 Center Street. There in felony court, he was met by his brother and an attorney. After considerable argument before the magistrate, Charles Burgess was ordered held as a material witness in $15,000 bail, which could not be posted immediately. The two detectives signed a receipt for Charlie and drove him back uptown to the 21st. I went with him. In there, Charlie, in the lieutenant's office. Come in. Go ahead, Charlie. Hello, Captain. Thanks a lot. Oh, that's all right. Shut the door, will you, Fox? Yes. Sit down, Charlie. Look. Sit down. Captain, you were in on this thing before any of us, except Charlie, that is. You think you can get him to talk sense? I'll try. Look, I don't feel like talking to anybody. I'm bushed. Well, what do you think we are? I'm really bushed. Can't I get some sleep? Maybe. Maybe. What kind of an answer is maybe? It's as good as the answers you've been giving us, Charlie. You know I wouldn't do nothing like kill him, Dutch. I liked him. I loved him. Like a brother, I loved him. Charlie, there's more murders over love than hate. I'm telling you. Everything stacks up against you, Charlie. You say there were three other fellows left the bar right before the holdup. We can't find a trace of them. They were in there. They were in there. You could have used the phone to call the cops. Instead, you ran to the police station. Only you ran the wrong way. I'm from Brooklyn. I only worked there three days. I, I, I got mixed up. That's natural. Is standing behind the bar in your street clothes natural? No. Why did it happen when there were no customers in the joint, Charlie? I, I don't know. What do you want from me? Facts, Charlie. Just facts. I'm giving you facts. That's all I've been giving you. Isn't it a fact that you waited until all the customers were gone and you pulled a gun on that? No, it's not. Isn't it a fact that you shot him in cold blood with the intention of saying two hold-up men walked in? No. And you were running away and ran right into my arms? No, it's not so. It's not so. Not. Well, Charlie, I hope it isn't so. For your sake. Because whoever did do it is going to wind up in the electric chair. That was as far as we could get with Charlie. I left him with Lieutenant King and went downstairs to the muster room. I signed the blotter and left the precinct, not due back on the job until late the next morning. In the meantime, Lieutenant King had detailed two men to trace Al Hans a former convict whose picture was identified by Charlie Burgess. From different sources, they learned two facts. One, that Hans owned an automobile, a 1949 Plymouth Coupe painted two-tone green, that Al Hans now lived someplace in the neighborhood of St. Mary's Park, the Bronx. That night and early the next morning, detectives cruised the streets within ten blocks of each side of this park looking for such a car. At four o'clock in the morning, one was spotted parked near the Mott Haven yards of the New Haven Railroad. The registration was checked with the Motor Vehicle Bureau car was registered in the name of Al Hans. Two men of the 21st squad were assigned to a stakeout. By 8 a.m., he had not shown up. Two detectives were sent in relief. They watched until 6 p.m. Still, no luck. At that time, detectives Fox and Howard were sent in relief. They watched the car for seven hours. That's him, Whitey. There he goes. Let's get him. Wait a minute, Al. Grab him. Police officers, hold still, Al. Hey. hey, what's the idea? Oh, Phil. He's clean. Listen, what's the idea? What do you want? We want to talk to you, Al. All right, let's talk. What's the beef? What have you been doing for the past week? I've been working. Working for a trucking company. Where? Here. Here in the Bronx. Days and nights. Well, uh, a little of both. And what else have you been doing? Well, I've been dating a girl. Every night? Yeah, almost every night. When I'm not working. <laughs> you got the wrong party, boys. Uh, we'll see about that. Come on. Listen, why don't you save yourself a lot of trouble? Why don't you talk to her? She can account for my time. We'll talk to her. What were you doing there all the time? 
Well, we were drinking, etc. What's this girl's name? Her name's Wanda. Wanda Rutley. That's the honest to goodness truth. Where does she live? She lives on East 152nd. Where on East 152nd? I don't know the number. I can show you the house. Okay, Al. You show us the house. Come on, there's our car. The detectives took Al Hans to their car. They drove to East 152nd Street, where Hans pointed out the house in which he said the girl, Wanda Rutley, lived. They drove in downtown to the 21st for questioning by Lieutenant King concerning his activities of Tuesday night. He denied all knowledge of the holdup and murder. At 4 a.m., Lieutenant King instructed Detectives Fox and Howard to go back uptown to the girls' room. All right. All right, I'm coming. All right, I said. Taking a girl up in the middle of the night. Yeah, what do you want? The police officers want to open up. Ah, I don't care who you are. Girls gotta have some self-respect. You're a sound sleeper. I gotta take sleeping pills. Doctor's orders. Hey, don't any cops work the day shift? What are you always doing coming around the middle of the night and disturbing somebody's self-respect like this? Look at me. Lucky I wasn't too groggy to put on a kimono. Wanda, do you know Al Hans? Yeah, sure, I know Al Hans. You know I know Al Hans. When did you see him last? What day is this, anyway? This is Friday morning, 4 o'clock. Have you seen him this week? Yeah, I saw him a couple nights ago. Tuesday? Wednesday? When? Day before yesterday. Now, wait a minute. What was that, Tuesday? Day before yesterday? That's right. He was here, yeah. Excuse me, i got to sit down. Go ahead. Oh, thanks. You're very generous. What time did he get here Tuesday night? Oh, I don't know. About nine, ten o'clock, something like that. What time did he leave? It was late, very late. About midnight? No, much later. What did he do, anyway? One o'clock? No, much later. Close to four, after four, something like that. Close to four, huh? I don't know exactly where. It was rather sometime. What was he doing here all the time? Well, we were... Do I have to say? I'm not say anyway. We were drinking and we were playing canasta. Canasta? Canasta. We were playing canasta. All right, Wanda. Go in and get dressed. Why? Some people want to talk to you downtown. Ah. Uh, middle of the night. Always in the middle of the night. It doesn't look good, Whitey. Well, that depends whose side you're on. Looks great for Al. But Charlie, it looks terrible. I was on the job at 7.45 in the morning. After I turned out the platoon, I looked over the blotter and arrest records for a picture of what had occurred in the precinct during the night. Lieutenant King walked in the front door. With him were Detective Fox and Charlie Burgess. He told me that after a night of questioning, the girl had verified Al Hans' story in every particular. Now he was about to bring Charlie face-to-face with Hans. With Lieutenant King, I followed Detective Fox and Charlie Burgess through the back room, upstairs, and into the detective squad. All right, Charlie, let's go inside. Captain? Yeah? When's it going to be over? That's what I want to know. Soon, Charlie. Okay. Uptown, downtown, I'm I'm getting sick of it. Hello, is it? Lieutenant. Oh, all set, Lieutenant. Come in. Go ahead, Charlie. I try to help him. That's him, Captain. That's the guy. I'm the guy that what? You're the guy that shot Dutch. You're out of your mind. Him, I'm telling you. It's him. Hey, who is this jerk? He's crazy. It's him. It's him. Get your hands off me, will you? It's him. him Get his hands off me. Golly. It's him. And what kind of a frame is this? He's a guy. All right, folks, be quiet. Fox, bring her in here. We'll wrap it up. Okay. 
Well, you wouldn't take my word for it, huh? But you'll take Wanda. Who's Wanda? You'll see, Charlie. Everything I'll see. Tell me something. Come on in. Inside, Wanda. All right. Don't have to rush. Sit down, Wanda. Hello, Wanda. Oh, Hans, why don't you stay out of trouble? I wouldn't have to lose my self-respect and be waked up by policemen at such an hour to make alibis for you. Sit down. All right. Could say please. Wanda, you're involved in a very serious matter here. Oh, I'm always involved in a very serious matter, but Al was at my house. He was there from around 9 o'clock until after 3 in the morning, and nothing you can say will change that. It's a lie. Okay, Charlie. Wanda, did you know this was a murder case? Murder case? Is it? Murder? Well... Now, was Al at your place between those times on Tuesday night? I told you he was, didn't I? We want the truth, Wanda. I'm telling you the truth. Have you ever been in jail? You're sure I've been in jail. You know I've been in jail. How long? Overnight? I was in two nights once. Were you ever in two years or three years or five years? You know what it's like, Wanda? I'm not... I'm not scared of anything. If you testify for Al and we prove it's a lie, we can send you away. For what? For perjury. Or worse, as accessory to murder. And we will, too. You can't do that. Come here. If you lie on the witness stand, we will. Oh, fun is fun. Shut up. But I can't. Shut up, I said. Get away from there. That's all I give you. I'll kill you! Watch him. Break that wall. I'll get him. Oh. That'll hold. I didn't mean any harm. I, honestly, I didn't. He just said that he was in a little trouble and if I was asking a question to cover up for him. All right, Wanda, sit down. I didn't mean any harm. I didn't know it was a murder, B. Sit down. Yeah. Is he okay? He'll come around in a minute. Thanks, Captain. For what? You see... You see? Yeah, we see, Charlie. We're sorry if we gave you a hard time. It's all right, Lieutenant. You guys were just doing your job. I know that. I'll admit it. It looked bad for me. Awful bad. Charlie, no matter how bad it looked for you, it's going to look a lot worse for him. Uh... 21st Precinct, Sergeant Klein. How'd you know it was Burglar's man? And so it goes, around the clock, through the week, every day, every year. A police precinct in the city of New York is a flesh-and-blood merry-go-round. Anyone can catch the brass ring, or the brass ring can catch anyone. Incidents portrayed on tonight's 21st precinct occurred last year. Names were changed to protect the interests of persons involved. 21st Precinct is presented with the official cooperation of the Patrolman's Benevolent Association, an organization of more than 20,000 members of the Police Department, City of New York. Everett Sloan in the role of Captain Kennelly, Ken Lynch as Lieutenant King. Featured in tonight's cast were Elspeth Herrick, Wendell Holmes, Chuck Webster, Bill Quinn, Phil Sterling, and Lawson Zerby. Written and directed by Stanley Niss, produced for CBS Radio by John Ives. Art Hanna speaking. And now, before the overture to the second act of the Gibson family, let's step backstage and look in on Sally Gibson and Hilda, her maid, who is helping Sally change for the next scene. Quick, Hilda, hold this dress. I've never been so excited in all my life. It's really wonderful, isn't it, Miss Sally? Too wonderful. That scene in the garden. It made me think of Henry, Miss Sally. Miss Sally, if I had your complexion, do you suppose Henry would... What, Hilda? Help me what's wrong with my face, Miss Sally. Those red blotches just won't go away. Soap, probably. What kind are you using? Some beauty soap, I suppose. Yes, Miss Sally. That one that promises radiant beauty, glamorous youth, irresistible loveliness. Oh, Miss Sally, I had hoped Henry would. Yes, so did I once. And then I learned the truth. Hilda, you can't feed the pores of your skin with beauty oils or mysterious ingredients. No. And many highly perfumed, prettily colored soaps contain fatty acids and free alkalis that really irritate and harm your skin. But, Miss Sally... My doctor recommended ivory. He says all any soap can do is cleanse. And that to protect the fine texture and pores, a soap should cleanse gently. 
And that to do that, a soap must be pure. He said ivory would help to keep my skin smooth and fine. And Miss Sally, do you think Henry would... Oh, quick, my gloves, Hilda. Is the belt to the second act? No, Hilda will never get a Grecian nose by using a beauty soap. But we do hope she gets Henry. And now for the overture to our second act. All right, Don. Hello, Yukon 28209. Yes, this is Candy Matson. Eat that baby on the tree. Uh, fix those dolly tracks. And look out for that cable, it's hot. Mallard, what in the name of the San Francisco Police Department are you doing up here on Telegraph Hill? Working, Candy, in the name of the San Francisco Police Department. Here, with these people who are making the movie? Yeah, how about that? Me, a lieutenant in homicide, and I'm assigned to riding herd on these Hollywood characters. Oh, it's better than murder. I'll take murder any day. (laughs) What are you doing around here? I did some shopping at Speedy's this morning while I was pinching the avocados. They told me that there was a Hollywood gang over by Coit Tower shooting some scenes for a movie with a San Francisco background. They might just as well have stayed in the studio. They brought their own lawns, prop trees, fake bushes, the works. (laughs) If it ever snowed up here on Telegraph Hill, they'd have brought some of that along, too. (laughs) (laughs) You've never worked in Hollywood, Mellard. Only God can make a tree, but Hollywood presumes to improve on them. (laughs) What are they doing now? Uh, Just getting ready to shoot a scene, I think. They've been rehearsing it all morning. Mm -hmm. What's it all about, do you know? As far as I can figure, it's a story about San Francisco right after the gold rush. Look at all the costumes. Very authentic. Looks like they'd been shipped around the horn. <laughs> By the way, Mallard, do you know who's in the picture? Some lush tomato named Cherry Dana and the Colorado boy, Buff Arnold. Arnold? D- did you say Buff Arnold? That's right. Why? Oh, forgive me, Mallard, dear. I, I knew Buff Arnold when he didn't have a place to house in. He professed to carry a very warm torch for me. Aha. Uh-huh. So that's why you so casually dropped by. Oh. An old flame, huh? Don't be ridiculous. I didn't even know the guy was here, let alone stealing pictures. A likely story. <laughs> All right, quiet, please. Let's have quiet. Quiet. This is a take. All set, Mr. Dix. We're ready. Good. Okay, Cherry, we'll roll this one. Take a chance on it. Just remember to keep up against those trees. We don't want any shots of those modern buildings below the hill. Oh, remember, Red. Where is my old pal, Buff Arnold Mallard, dear? By me. Judging by what's been going on, he's not in this particular scene. Mm -hmm. All right, stand by. Roll him. Scene 47, take 10. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Cut, cut. Oh, where's that coming from? Out on the bay, Mr. Dix. A fine thing, a present-day steamer whistle in an 1850 picture. Hold it. Ames. Yes? Let me know when the fool ship is tied up. We won't shoot the scene until it's docked. Yes, sir. Darn it, I was hoping I'd see some action. Well, I'll give you some action. Come on, walk around with me, Candy. I'll show you all the sights. Sights like what, for instance, Mallard? Oh, all the lights they brought up here. I must have a thousand of them. Undoubtedly to wash out the wrinkles on the leading lady's face. And talk about props. It must have taken a whole freight train to get them up here. Well, I have to have them. Uh, uh, for instance, look, uh, right up there. Hmm? Where, Mallory? Uh, up, up there, above. In that tree, hanging by their necks. <gasps> oh, Mallard! <laughs> Don't jump like that, Cupcake. Oh. They're only dummies hanging from those ropes. Three of them, they, they look so realistic. Well, I must admit, they really do. I understand they use them in a scene where they recreate a lynching in Portsmouth Square. Recreate, did you say? Yeah. Maybe you're right. Take another look, honey bun, a good look at the one in the middle. What are you trying to... Fry me for lard. That one in the middle is no dummy. You're no dummy either, boy of mine. How many times have you looked up there? Just a couple of times, but the last time I looked, the one in the middle wasn't an ex-human being. With that, I toss the whole thing in your lap, Mallard. I promote you back to homicide. Oh, why didn't these characters stay in Hollywood? It is a bit of a shame, isn't it? Cluttering up our lovely Telegraph Hill trees with gently swaying corpses. Come on, Mallard. Let's give the director a slight touch of apoplexy. (laughs) 
The National Broadcasting Company presents Candy Matson, Yukon 28209. Funny how sometimes when you're lazy and want to do nothing except live the good, pure life, trouble, trouble comes up and belts you over the head with a vengeance. Well, that's the way it happened to me. I'd just finished a deal that took me three weeks to crack. I made some good money out of it, banked it, and sat back to relax. But when I heard about the movie company on location on the other side of the hill, my curiosity got the better of me. As of that moment, my contemplated relaxation was at an end. Period. Paragraph. I literally walked right into trouble because there was Mallard and cut down. Okay, Mr. Dix, take a good look at him. You recognize the gent? I recognize him, yes, but I don't know him. He was one of the extras we used in a scene yesterday. Did he come up from Hollywood with you? I'm pretty sure he didn't. I think he was hired here locally. Wait a minute. Who's this young lady? I don't want any outsiders in on this. Don't fret your little head, Mr. Dix. Aside from being a material witness, she's a well-known private investigator. Ah, excuse me. I didn't know. That's all right. No need to apologize. Some of my best friends are movie directors. Uh, who would keep the roster on your personnel? My assistant, Bill Ames. Is he around? Well, I'm right here, Lieutenant. Oh, good. Can you give us any dope on this fellow? Oh, golly, uh, I'm afraid not. I've seen him, but... I wouldn't know his name from Adam. How about the payroll? When do you pay off the extras? Ah, that's a thought. We pay off at 5 o'clock tonight. Why don't we come back then, Mellard? We can check off the names against the pay vouchers. There's one thing extras like to do, and that's get paid. The name that doesn't show up is our friend the corpse. Okay, we'll let it go like that. What do you pay off? Room 873, Montfair Hotel. Make sure everybody's there, unless they want a little trouble thrown at them. Uh... I'm sorry, Mr. Dix. You can go on with your shooting now. Oh, no, no more today. It's too unnerving. Ames, knock it off. Call will be for 8 o'clock tomorrow morning sharp. Right, Chief. Uh, break it up, everybody. 8 o'clock tomorrow morning in costumes. And that means 8 o'clock. Understand? You mind waiting here for Mama Caddy? I want to put in a call to the coroner's office for a wagon. Sure, that's all right. Go ahead. Good. It'll only be a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Dix, pardon me. Yes? Can you tell me where Buff Arnold is staying? What uh, what do you want with Buff Arnold, young lady? I used to know him when he was playing bit parts in Hollywood. Oh. Did you uh, work in Hollywood? I did a little time down there, sitting around in agents' offices. You know, uh, you're a sharp little cookie. <laughs> Say, all of a sudden I've got an idea. I'll bet. <laughs> no, no. On the level, believe me. I have a small part coming up that'd fit you to a tee. Good-looking gal, wise, supposed to work in her father's store selling supplies to the miners. Can you uh, act at all? I used to shoot a fairly sharp mess of dialogue. Do you live close by? Right over there, one block, penthouse on the top. Hmm, all the better. As soon as your policeman friend removes the deceased there, uh, why don't we go over to your place and uh, look at the script? You know something? I've got an idea that's the idea you had the idea about. Okay, I'll look at the script. But for your information, Mr. Dix, I'm interested only in playing a part in your picture. Mallard came back, and I told him what had developed with Dix. He shot me a look that had more question marks in it than a government income tax form. I assured him I could handle the situation, and he left with the body, still clad in its 49er prospector's outfit. Dix issued some final orders, took me by the arm, and we strolled over to my place. Charming, but positively charming. Thank you. What a gorgeous view. How long have you lived here, Miss... Oh, now, isn't that silly? I don't even know your name. Matson. Candy Matson. Candy Matson. Never have I heard a name match a personality so completely. <laughs> I'm Reginald Dix. Um, just call me Reg. As you say, Reg. Uh, would you like a drink? Oh, splendid. Soda highball? I think I can scrape one together. Ah, this is absolutely enchanting. I'm going to ask to make all my pictures in San Francisco from now on. I don't think you'd go wrong. Uh, of <laughs> course, it'd be a little rough if you were making a picture with an Indian background and needed shots of the Taj Mahal and the Himalayas. Oh, simple. I'd change it to the Ferry Building and Twin Peaks. <laughs> Very good. Here you are, Reg. Ah, thank you. I can use this after that messy discovery up there on that tree. Well, here's to crime. Uh, that's a charming toast. 
Now then, about this part you were speaking of, I don't even belong to the Screen Actors Guild anymore. Oh, mere detail. I'll call the studio tonight and have them arrange your membership. As simple as that. You know, I think if some of your bright boys got together, you could win the war in Korea without half trying. Oh, let's not be snide, my dear. <laughs> oh, excuse me a moment. Someone at the door. Uh, certainly. Whoever it is, though, uh, send them away. Yes, master. Hi. Hi. But now that we've established our highs, is there something I can do for you? I'm Cherry Dana. Is Mr. Dix here? Oh, why, yes. Uh, would you wait here, please? I will not wait here. I want in. Now, just a minute. There you are, Ed. You have a short memory, haven't you? Cherry, what are you doing here? Uh, I'm having a conference. So I see. I hate to mention it, but this happens to be a private home, Miss Dana. I'll have to ask you to leave. Oh, don't be boring. You lured my director up here, and I'm going to see that some little local wench doesn't put the squeeze play on him. Why, you pampered brat, get out of here right now, or I'll show you how a local wench can back up words with action. Oh, now hold on here, both of you. Um, Cherry, I resent this intrusion just as much as Miss Madsen does, I'm sure. I'll bet. What about me? You said you were going to drive me back to the hotel. Very well, it slipped my mind. I'm sorry, Candy. I dislike scenes of this sort. We'll discuss... Our business, uh, later? Good. I find now that I'm extremely interested. Good afternoon, Miss Dana. I'll see you later. I was so mad I was boiling. If I'd been a thermometer, Quicksilver would have been streaming out of my ears. I did the most natural thing, took a shower, and little by little I simmered down. Actors and actresses are like anybody else. Most of them are darn nice people just trying to make a living, but one ham, like Cherry Dana, can ruin the picture. Just as I was getting dressed, the ferry building siren blew its top, indicating 4.30. I had to step on it if I was going to be at the Montfair at 5 in time for the payroll sequence with the extras. So I stepped on it and found myself in a minor mob scene outside room 873 at the Montfair Hotel. Mallard spotted me, grabbed me by the arm, and took me inside the room. I really didn't expect to see you, Candy. Hmm? Why not? I thought perhaps you were discussing contract terms with Dix by now. Big Hollywood star and all that. Oh, Mallard, cut it out. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as I call out your names, step up fast and sign the voucher. Anderson, Robert, Apperson, Lou, Bennett, Bert, Beverly... I studied the faces as they stepped by the cashier's table set up in the room. They were all types. Anyone could have been a a villain, a dance hall girl, a hero, an ingenue, or just plain extra. The roll call droned on in the background. The whole thing took about ten minutes. And suddenly, we were alone. Ames, the assistant director, the girl who had done the actual paying, Mallard, and myself. Well, that's it. Who's missing, Ames? You're in for a bit of a shock. How do you mean? Nobody's missing. Everybody listed on our payroll, checked in, and was paid off. What? That's right. Did you recognize every person who had been paid off? I'm pretty sure I did. Well, this is a fine kettle of nothing. We have an extra who's working in the picture, and yet he isn't. So he ends up hanging by his neck from a tree on Telegraph Hill. Who was the Joker? The Joker, the one you can play wild. Are you sure they're all paid? Well, positive. Double-checked with their guild cards and signatures. Well, isn't this cute? Oh, excuse me, please. Hello? Yes, this is Ames. Oh, 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 yes, Cherry. What? He's what? Great Scott. What's the matter, Ames? What is it? You're white as a sheet. Dix. He's just been found shot to death in his room. From San Francisco, the National Broadcasting Company is presenting Candy Matson, Yukon 28209. Reginald Dix, well known Hollywood director, shot dead in his hotel room. We were looking for developments. We got them, but not the kind we expected. Mallard led the way up to the suite that Dix had been occupying on the top floor. There was a mob around the door, and my boy Mallard soon dispersed them and instituted some semblance of order. 
Dix was sprawled out on the balcony overlooking the bay, and an ever-widening pool of blood showed that he'd been hit in the chest. Cherry Dana was pacing the room, smoking a cigarette. Ames stood in the middle with his jaw flapping, and who should be in the room, too, but my old pal from my days in Hollywood, Buff Arnie. Candy. Candy Manson. What a place for a reunion. Yes, isn't it? How are you, Buff? Ill. Terribly ill. If I have to step into the other room, I hope you'll understand. Reg was a great friend of mine. Sure. Sure, let's go in the bedroom. Uh, you look sort of green. Mm. Besides, I have a few questions I'd like to ask you, Buff. It's a deal. Anything to get out of here, let's go. Wait a minute, Candy. Who is this guy? Buff Arnold Mallard, the fellow I was speaking about. Where were you going? In there, he doesn't feel too good. The closest he's ever been to blood is a bottle of ketchup in color. Okay. Don't let him out of your sight. I have a flock of questions and need a flock of answers. As you say, Miller, dear. And don't get carried away yourself. This the bedroom? Yeah. Well, Buff, you seem to be doing all right. Mm, a lot different than when I knew you in Hollywood, Candy. You look swell, Buff. Too darn swell. Hmm? What do you mean? You bring back too many memories. You look mighty good yourself, Candy. You're no longer a plump little kid just out of high school. You're downright pretty, gal. In the good old days, I'd have jumped through hoops to hear you say that. Got any hoops handy? I'll say it again. No soap. Maybe we could revive some of those memories, Candy. Not a chance, Buff Boy. Things have changed. Hollywood and everyone in it, including you, are a part of a dim, sad past. And instead of just plain Buff... That's a rebuff. Very cute. I haven't heard the gag pull since yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me, did you hear about the body that was found on Telegraph Hill this morning? I sure did. Now, poor Reg. I told him this picture had a jinx on it before we left the studio. Little things have happened right from the start. Like what? Well, in the first place, I wasn't even supposed to be in the picture. They're going to give it to some new kid as a build-up. A week before the first day of shooting, he up and disappeared. He hasn't been heard from since. Well, they shoved me into the breach. Then the assistant director tripped and fell off a catwalk, broke both legs. He had to be replaced. Anything else, Buff? Yeah. About that time, Cherry Dana whipped herself into a batch of temperament and walked off the lot. Held up production a week. Then the luggage for San Francisco was rerouted somewhere else. Never has caught up with us. Now the body this morning and Dick's just now. Certainly sounds like a jinx. By the way, how do you and the great Cherry get along, Buff? Hmm? Fine, fine. I try not to see her except on the set. Come here, Candy. Just let me hold you in my arms once, just once. I want the feel of someone who's truly genuine. You're still just a little boy, aren't you, Buff? Hmm. Okay, Arnold, I'd like to... Uh... <clears throat> well, pardon me. I hate to break this up, uh, but I want to talk to you, Mr. Arnold. That was a fine time Mallard picked to walk in. And then I got to thinking, maybe it was a fine time. He was due to have a little fire set under him. As I walked out into the other room, the boys in blue had arrived, and they were swarming all over the place. Ames was no longer present, neither was Cherry Dana... I wasn't going to give Mallard the satisfaction of an explanation, so I eased out the door and went down to the lobby. I asked where Ames was staying and went back up to his room, 672. A knock on the door produced results. Just a moment. Oh, Miss Matson. Uh, something you wanted? Yes. May I come in? Why, I... Yes. I was just lying down. This thing about Reg has knocked me for a complete loop. It seems to be quite a shock to everybody. You've been with Reginald Dix for a long time, haven't you, Ames? Well, off and on, yes. A good number of years. How about La Dana? Cherry? Mm. Oh, I've known her extremely well, even before she became a top-flight star. Can you give me any idea who might have had it in for Dix? If you can, you better spill. The truth will come out sooner or later, Ames. It always does and things of this sort. I've only one little thing I can tell. I've already told it to your lieutenant friend. Oh, and what's that? As I got back from Telegraph Hill, I dropped by Reg's suite. 
wanted to talk about tomorrow's shooting. As I drew near his door, I heard loud arguing. Arguing? Who were the opponents? Reg and Cherry Dana. Mm-hmm. And what were they arguing about, Ames? You. So that's it. Tell me, is Cherry the kind of woman who would turn killer on an impulse? It's hard to say. She has a terrible temper. Mm-hmm. Does Buff Arnold fit into the picture in any way? I don't know. He's a sly one, that Arnold. He plays his cards in strictly a commercial manner. May fit into the picture. He and Reg were never too friendly. I see. Oh, thanks, Amesy. I'll leave now. And You'd better lock your door. The way things are going, you might wake up to find yourself dead. I went up to Cherry Dana's suite, but I drew a blank there, no answer. So I went back to the scene of the murder, Dix's rooms on the top floor. Mallard was just leaving. He shot me a look that would have knocked out a North Korean tank at a thousand yards and started to brush on by me, but I would have none of it. Now, just a moment, boy blue. Come on back to that over-21 level. Just because Buff had his arms around me is no sign we were playing a scene from Romeo and Juliet. I don't think I've seen that close a grip even in professional wrestling. Oh, cut it out. What'd you turn up in there? Anything at all? No, not a thing. Can't even find the murder weapon. Got any ideas? Lots of them. We've already taken Miss Dana into custody. I had a hunch it was leading in that direction. Uh, uh, incidentally, did you ever hear of a Christopher Seema? He's been a bookie around town here for several years. Christopher Seema? No, can't say I have. Why? He was the boy who was hanging from the tree. Oh. According to our files, he dabbled in everything from gambling to blackmail. Seema. Seema, that, that name rings bells somehow, Mallard. Uh, one other thing. This isn't personal, you understand. Yeah. But stay away from Buff Arnold. We've got our eye on him, too. things were suddenly clicking way back in my mind. Awfully vague, but the old processes from years before were coming to life ever so slowly. Mallard had work to do, plenty of it, down at the Hall of Justice, work in which I was included out. I went outside on California Street, watched him get into a squad car with two of his men, and I waved him a goodbye. That was when I had another idea. Dix's suite. Cops were through with it. The body had been removed. But I had a hunch that was the key to the situation. Knowing the manager of the Montfair, it was no trouble at all to get a key to Reg's suite, and that's where I headed, up to the top floor. I let myself into the darkened room, closed the door behind me, and with the lights of the city way below seeping through the balcony window, I found a place in back of the settee and sat down to wait and think. The balcony window being opened, the roar of the city traffic underneath came gently through and helped my thinking. That's when it hit me. Seema. Several years before I had served my term in Hollywood, there was an actress named Vivian Seema. The same face as that of Cherry Dana. Now the clouds were beginning to lift, and at the same time the door opened in the suite and the silhouetted figure of a man entered the room. Blast the luck. Okay, Buff. Relax. What the... This is Candy. Come on over here by the settee. Hurry. I'm expecting company. What are you doing here, Candy? You've got the wrong page of the script. That's my line. What are you doing here, Buck? Honestly, you've got to believe me. I, I left my lighter here this afternoon. I was afraid the police would find it. Naturally, I can't afford any bad publicity. It ruined my career. I believe you, Buck. You always were fond of that career, weren't you? Don't answer. Just keep quiet. What's up? A guy named Seema, if I'm right. Reginald Dix didn't like him. Wait a minute. I think I hear someone coming along the hall. <laughs> the door slowly opened and closed again. The dim light from the hall showed the form of another man. Then the dark figure moved slowly but surely across the room. It stopped for a second or two, as though listening for something. Then moved again to the balcony, out onto the balcony, and... Whoever it was grabbed the ledge above, hoisted his feet up under the iron grillwork, and hung over the city. That's when I acted. Okay, Ames, stay right where you are, in that position. What? 
You think I'm a fool? Candy's out on that ledge. He's ducked around the outside on that ledge. I'm a fool. Quick, Buff. Go down the hall and get out on the fire escape. Cut him off. Okay, what are you going to do? Go out on that ledge after him. You better come back, Ames. You're cut off at both ends. Oh, no, I'm not. Not with this gun I've got. That's the same gun you killed Dix with, isn't it? Very clever hiding it up on this ledge out here. No wonder Mallard and his boys didn't find it. Look out there on the city, Ames. One misstep and you go off into space. Think it over. You better come back. Not on your life. I'm coming after you. I'm down at the other end, Candy. Good. Now we've got him. Yes. Yes, you have. Obviously, this is the end. Perhaps you don't know what it is to love. Perhaps you don't know what it is to be scorned. I do. Painfully so. This is the end. But I'm not going to go alone. You're going with me, Miss Matson, like this. No! No, the recoil. It'll knock you right out of the neck. Oh! So it was just a matter of jealousy. Is that right, Candy? That's right, Nellie, dear. The same thing you developed when you walked in on Buff Arnold and me. Okay, okay, so I was burned up. Tell me more. It was the name Seema that did it, Mallard. Uh, do you know what that is? All right, I'll play quizzes with you. What's the name Seema? Seema is Ames, spelled backwards. Uh-oh. You see, that was Ames' real name. At, at one time, he had married Cherry Dana under the name of Seema. When she began to be big in pictures, she divorced him, but he carried the eternal torch. Silly, she wasn't worth it. Of course not. Because she collected men. Reginald Dix, not because she loved him, but because she was fading in pictures and because Dix was the only one who could keep her in front of the public. Logical. But what about the Seema hung up in the tree on Telegraph Hill? Uh-huh. There we have the plot. The Seema up in the tree was Ames's brother, a ne'er-do-well. The night that Ames arrived in town here, he looked up his brother, got a bit tight, and told him what he'd done. Caused the original leading man to disappear, shoved the original assistant director off a platform, breaking his legs. In general, did everything he could to sabotage the picture. Then he pulled the strings to get himself named as assistant director so he could be near Cherry. Love and jealousy. Mallard, I'll get to that in time. Cherry had vaguely promised that she'd remarry Ames. When he saw his own brother was going to blackmail him, he went crazy. That's when he strung him up with the dummies in the trees. From there, it was just a step to knock off Reginald Dix and have a clear track for himself. I'll go back to what I said to begin with. Why did these characters from Hollywood have to come up here to San Francisco and louse up our scenery, as well as our police department? Oh, to heck with your police department. That's the last time I'm going to climb around a ledge hundreds of feet in the air. Not so strange. Buff Arnold was out on that ledge, too, wasn't he? Oh, Mallard, sometimes you make me... That reminds me. I have a date tomorrow night. Sure. With... Buff Arnold. No, no, that's tomorrow morning. I'm driving him down to the railroad station. Date for tomorrow night? With you, Mallard, dear. We're going to see a Roy Acuff movie. Oh, Candy. Roy Acuff. Monarch of all the cowboys. Yeah, monarch of all the cowboys. I'll see him with you. Oh. And if that isn't love, I don't know what is. <laughs> Listen again next week at this same time. For excitement and adventure, just dial... Candy Matson, Yukon 28209. Heard tonight were Hal Burdick as Reginald Dix, John Grover as Ames, the assistant director, Mary Milford as Cherry Dana, Kurt Martell as Buff Arnold, and included in the cast was Ken Langley. Henry Left plays the part of Lieutenant Ray Mallard. The program stars Natalie Masters as Candy and is written and directed by Monty Masters. Sound effects are created by Bill Brownell and Eloise Rowan is heard at the organ. The characters in tonight's play were entirely fictitious. Any resemblance to actual people is purely coincidental. Tonight's engineer was Clarence Stevens. The program came to you from San Francisco. Dudley Manlove speaking. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.